Well, it was an awesome, awesome week at Momentum Youth Conference. <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, my name's Eric Miller, and I am the youth pastor here, soon to be the discipleship pastors I was mentioning earlier. And we, uh, last Sunday, got back from that conference, Momentum Youth Conference. We were out in Indiana. We had a whole uh, busload of our own students who joined about 2,400 other students from across the country. Um, and it was a powerful week. It's always a powerful week. Uh, and so if you've never gone to that and you're a, a student in middle school or high school, man, we encourage you to go next year with us. Uh, it's a, it's a, really is the best week of the summer, and that gave you just a little glimpse uh, of what it was all about. But this morning, we're starting uh, a topic that uh, is probably going to be a little uncomfortable for us. So I just want to preface and get that out of the way. Let's all take a deep breath. Exhale. Okay, good. All right, we're going to be good. We're, we're continuing our series called You Picked, and, and this spring we gave you uh, an opportunity to, to survey, to, to tell us uh, some topics that you would like for Pastor R and I to speak about this summer. And so that you did. You, you picked. You uh, went online and you filled out some of that survey. And so uh, we've covered many topics about uh, social media and how do we share the gospel, how do we love people who are different and difficult from us. Last week, Pastor R did an awesome job talking about families and, and how do we uh, be disciples in, in our family dynamics. And so uh, this morning, we're going to talk about how do we handle conflict? How do we handle conflict? Anybody feel like they're in the midst of a conflict right now? Just show hands. Anybody? Two people. Okay. All right. We, we, we need to maybe wake up this morning. Um, just because you don't think you're in conflict, uh, let's create some conflict. Yeah? Would that be fun? Now, normally in youth group, we, we would do this game where I would give you two options, and I would say, go to this side of the room if you like Coca-Cola, and go to this side of the room if you like Pepsi. That way, then people can know who they're in conflict with by looking across the room. We won't do that this morning, um, but I, I do want to create some conflict, and, and the reality is there's conflict all around us, right? We, we know that. Hopefully, we know that. If not, you're in for a rude awakening this morning. Um, conflict is really everywhere in our world today in our culture, in our families, in our work environments, in our neighborhoods. And the reality is we have to know how do we handle this? How, how do we handle conflict? And we're going to look uh, biblically this morning at what God has to say about that. How many of you are, are Washington Nationals fans? Anybody? How many Baltimore Orioles fans? Okay. Any Cubs fans? I just had to ask. Just had to ask. See, we're, I said we're going to create some conflict. What about this? What about this? Mac or PC? Mac or PC? Any, P, you guys know what PC stands for? Okay. We'll, we'll politically correct. Sure. All right. What about this one? What about this one? Android or iPhone? Android or iPhone? How many of you have an Android? Do yourself a favor and just throw it on the ground right now. And then go buy an iPhone. All right, there you go. Now you know where I stand, okay? You know where I stand. Uh, conflict happens in our world, right, all around us. In fact, there are things probably in our church that create conflict in you because the reality is we're all flawed. We're, none of us are perfect. And yet we, we want to, to be in a part of a church where, man, everything's perfect. And you know what? That's not going to happen until we get to heaven. That's not going to happen until we get to heaven. But the reality is Scripture God gives us so many verses that help us understand the conflict that's going on around us and within us. And how do we deal with that? How do we handle it? 
This morning, I, I want to start with a verse that we've mentioned several times through this summer series, and it's this, John 13, and, and you can find it in verse 34. It's Jesus saying this. He says, look, a new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. In verse 35, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So church, why is this so important? Why is this so important? Jesus points it out very clearly himself, says, look, you need to love one another. By, by your love for each other, the world will know that you're followers of Christ, that you're disciples of Jesus, that you're associated with him. Another verse of why this is so important. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 20, we see this. It says, we love because he first loved us. I loved the songs that we were singing earlier because, as Scott mentioned, they are about God's great love for us. And it's only that, that we can love other people because of God's love for us. Think about it. Who's the most difficult person that you know? If you didn't say you, then you probably should. I'm the most difficult person that I know, right? And, and this morning we're going to wrestle with our perspective on this, but think about what, what God did for us that he loved me, Eric Miller, a, a sinner, that he loved you, a, a sinner. We didn't deserve what he gave us, the gift of, of heaven, the gift of his son, the gift of a new relationship, the gift of new life, the gift of, of eternity with him in heaven. We didn't deserve any of that, and yet he loved us. While we were still sinners, like Romans says. So in, in, in 1 John, while, while he loved us, he, he, we love because he first loved us, but he doesn't stop there. John goes on and he says, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Man, that's a hard verse, isn't it? So here's the reality. Here's the reality. For, for most of us, we don't even realize how much unresolved conflict messes up our life. For most of us, we try to avoid conflict. We, we avoid it like the plague. We, we try, we do whatever we can to avoid it. We say, you know what? There's no conflict in my life. And it's because we just do this and, and we don't acknowledge it. We don't look at it. We don't admit that it's there, and we just bury our heads in the sand, and we live in, in a world called La La Land. And wow, that's nice, and that's neat, <laughs> but it's not real. Conflict, unresolved conflict really can mess up our life. Unresolved conflict, Scripture says, can hinder our relationship with God like we just saw in this verse. It can hinder our prayers from being answered, and it can hinder our happiness our contentment, our joy, our peace. Man, unresolved conflict really messes things up. Do you guys know the difference between a skunk and a turtle? Ever thought about this? Some of you are skunks. When, when conflict happens, you just, you just make a big stink all over the place. And then you run away. Some of you are like turtles. When conflict happens, you just hide in a shell. And you know what the truth is? Skunks always marry turtles. Don't look at your spouse. But save some conflict for, for a moment. Skunks always marry turtles. How about this? Have you heard the phrase, time heals all wounds? How many of you said that before? I've said that before. Oh my goodness, time heals all wounds. What garbage! <laughs> That's such garbage. 
If, if I got stabbed and I'm bleeding, time heals all wounds. And, and guys, don't just leave me alone. Just time will heal all wounds. I mean, that's taking it very literal. But you can probably look at scenarios in your life and think time heals all wounds, and you know that's so not true. Because just pretending like it doesn't exist or just pretending like it's not really there, that really doesn't heal the wounds that you have, right? So how do we heal? How, how do we do this? Let's look at Scripture. One of the most well-known passages in Scripture on conflict resolution is what? Anybody? Matthew 18. I think I heard it over here. Matthew 18. Let's look at that. Let's start there. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 15. Let me read these couple of verses to us. This is out of the ESV. It says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he, is, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you and take every charge or that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." All right, so here Jesus kind of rolls out a, a formula, if you will, of, of what do you do when, when a brother sins against you. Let's point out just briefly a few things here, and we're going to move on to other passages, other principles. First of all, it points out that if your brother, meaning a fellow believer in Christ, okay, this isn't literally your brother, okay, uh, this is, this is a, a fellow believer in Christ, and it says that if they have sinned against you, go and tell him your fault, right? Now, look, we, we mess this up a lot, okay? I've not always done this well, but here's the reality. When they're in sin, you go and tell them their fault, not when you find them annoying, right? Not when they do something that you really don't like. Not when you have a personal preference on how something should be done, go and confront them. No, when they're in sin. See, there's a difference there. When they're in sin, when they've sinned even against you. And then he says to go between, between you and that person alone. So do it in private. Don't air those grievances in front of everyone else. Sometimes I think we, we, when someone sins against us, we go to like 15 people and we call it fact finding, we call it gaining wisdom, we call it prayer support, we call it lots of things, but scripture calls it gossip. And now we're wrong if we don't just go directly to that person and keep it between the two of us. Then he goes on and he says, look, if they don't listen, then take one or two other believers with evidence, that clause that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses, that's in reference to an Old Testament, to an Old Testament law that required a charge be supported by two or three witnesses in order to be valid, in order to be considered valid. And then he says, look, if they still don't listen, then take it to the church. Can I, can I just say, look, I, I've been in this scenario where people have come and they've, they've confronted me on sin in my life. And there are times where I've been stubborn and, and not wanting to listen and no, I justify my sin and whatever, right? We play that game, don't we? We do. And yeah, if it gets to the point where then that person brings two or three others and they come and they tell you and they say, no, look, Eric, you really did this and it was bad and you need to make it things right or you need to ask for forgiveness. 
And if at the point where the church gets involved, you still aren't responsive, you still aren't repentive, then I'm going to just ask the question, look, are you really a follower of Christ? Are you really seeking God's wisdom and what he wants? Or are you really just living in selfishness and pride? Then if they still refuse to listen, he goes on. And he says, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. In other words, don't welcome them into close fellowship with you. Put them outside of your your family. Put them outside of those those settings where you're going to allow them to be close and, and intimate and in relationship with you. Look, this is hard. Some of us have been through these situations on good and bad sides. Many of us will go through these situations. And yet, here's the reality. Oftentimes, the conflict that we face and that we deal with in our life doesn't necessarily fit this nice, neat little formula of Matthew 18. And so what do we do with that? I'm so glad we have the Bible. I'm so glad we have God's word that he offers wisdom to us. Maybe you need to understand that the best way to resolve conflict is not by getting in conflict in the first place. And if you think that that there's not conflict in your life, again, we got to look inwardly. We got to open our eyes and look around. And at the same time, if you think, man, conflict just surrounds me, I can't escape it, then maybe it's you. (laughs) Maybe it's you. Maybe there's something about you that's causing conflict. But the the best way to avoid conflict is don't get involved in conflict anyway. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we're not going to look at these verses, but in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 through 32 gives us a beautiful, a beautiful list of, of passages, of commands, of principles that if we were to follow, we would really avoid conflict. Look, I know it's easier said than done. I know that. But sometimes we need to look inwardly. And here's, here's what I think I, I want to set this up as our foundation this morning. We, we need to look inwardly. Because I, th- I think there are two main kinds of conflict that come from us internally, and it's either selfishness or it's pride. And I see that all throughout Scripture. It's selfishness and it's pride. It's us being self-centered and only seeking our own wants, our own desires. We can't look at other people and see any of their stuff. We can only think through the filter, through the lens of our selfishness or our pride. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And look, here's the reality. If I'm filled with selfishness, if I'm filled with pride and something happens that's going to irritate me, oh, I'm going to fly off the handle. Oh, I'm going to be filled with anger. I'm going to be filled with that. And yet, if I'm filled with, with the fruit of the Spirit, with love and joy and peace and patience, if I'm filling my life with Christ, then there really isn't a whole lot that's going to irritate me. Some of you know that to be true because there have been days or moments in your life where you're really like just right with God. You're, you're on fire in your love with him and your passion for him and, and something happens and you're just like, you know what, have a nice day doesn't even matter. Your perspective is different, right? But those days, those moments, those hours where, where life is falling apart at the seams and there just seems to be conflict everywhere and then someone cuts you off, oh, the rage just takes over. And every little thing just irritates you. Is your life filled with selfishness 
and pride, or is it filled with love and joy, peace, patience, kindness? Is it filled with Christ? Is it filled with his word? Is it filled with the love that that Christ gave to us? I think we have to start there. This week as I was researching, as I was studying scripture and just praying, God, would you give me the words to say? I know that there's conflict in our church. I know that there's conflict in our lives. I know that there's conflict all over the place. Would you help us to deal with this appropriately? How many of you are familiar with a guy named Rick Warren? Rick Warren's a pastor out in California at a church called Saddleback. They're the ones that I think started Celebrate Recovery. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, Rick Warren had, uh, and I don't know if he came up with this, but this is where I heard it. Uh, He did a message a few years ago on seven steps to resolve conflict and restore marriage. And, And these points were just too good to not bring them here to you today. And so for the rest of our time, I want us to look through these seven steps to resolve conflict and restore relationships And there's a scripture attached to each one of them because we want it to be God's word that speaks to us, not my words or Rick Warren's words or Pastor R's words, but that God's word would speak to us. And so as we look at this, it's my hope and prayer that God would just speak to us, that he would move in such a way that we would would see our selfishness, that we would see our pride, that we would shift our perspective and be filled with Christ, to be filled with love. So here we go. The first one, the first step to resolve conflict and restore relationships is for you to make the first move. Wow, this is hard. (laughs) I already don't like them. (laughs) To make the first move, for you to make the first move, the, the passage of scripture that's tied with this is found in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, and it says this. So if you were offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Now remember, this is in Matthew 5. It's before that Matthew 18 principle that Jesus taught. He says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and then go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Just a side note, notice that in both scenarios it says leave your gift. That would be helpful to the church, thanks. But go, it's it's priority, right? It's important, it's, it's literally, have any of you ever gotten in a conflict like on the way to church in the morning? If you're married, you probably have. Um, it's so important that, that we resolve that conflict in that moment. And look, the only way to resolve conflict is to face it, is to face it. You have to go through it. You can't go around it. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You have to face it. But what prevents us from facing it? What prevents us from making the first move? I think oftentimes it's fear. Fear is what prevents us from handling conflict. Let me illustrate. Have you ever had some loved person in your life say, hey, we need to talk? You like brace yourself, right? What are they going to say? And you feel your body tense. (laughs) Because you're fearful of conflict. That's part of our human nature. But the reality is, is that we have to face it. Men, some of us, we need to lead by example. Some of us need to step up and face conflict in our families and give our wives and our children and those who look up to us a healthy, positive, biblical example of facing conflict. Some men that I know, man, we we shy away from 
conflict. We let our wives deal with it. We let everybody else deal with it, but we refuse. It is time to, to man up, to face our conflict, to make the first move. Second, ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. How many of you, you've known that you need to go do it, and then, like I said earlier, you go and talk to other people, and you try and get their perspective, their wisdom. Man, I've done that. I've done that. But do we go to God in prayer and say, God, you know all things. Would you, God, give me wisdom? In James 1.5, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask God for wisdom. Number three, begin with what's my fault. I told you this was going to be hard this morning. (laughs) Begin with what's my fault. If you're in conflict with somebody, you make the first move. You ask God for wisdom. And three, you begin with what's my fault. In Matthew 7, we looked at Matthew 5 and Matthew 7. Again, before Matthew 18, we see this verse in verses 3 through 5. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, all throughout Scripture, we see principles of how we can handle conflict. We begin with what's our fault. Think of a conflict that you're currently in, a a situation that feels stressful or troublesome to you. Maybe there's a log jam in communication. Is it because there's a log in your own eye and you're looking at the speck of sawdust in somebody else's? Very well may be a piece of it. Here's a, a a, a, a secret phrase, a miracle phrase. And I've only been married for four years now, but I can see and assure you that this is accurate, that this phrase works. You might want to write this down. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And maybe that's followed by, you were right, or it was my fault, right? There's great power in that. And look, even if you don't mean it in the moment, you better get there, (laughs) You better quickly get to the point where you can own your fault, where you can begin with your fault. Look, we all have selfishness and pride in our lives that hinder us from seeing the situation, the circumstances. The reality is we also all have blind spots. We have weaknesses that we can't see. Our weaknesses, our blind spots, they're evident to everybody else who looks at us, but we don't see them. It's kind of like in high school when, you know, somebody puts that kick me sign on the back of you and you're like, man, why does everybody keep kicking me today? It's a blind spot. You don't see that. We need to remove the blind spots. We we need people in our lives who will speak the truth to us, who will help us, who can point them out to us. And we have to be humble in order to welcome that, to receive that. Number four, listen for their hurt and their perspective. Look, sometimes we want to start there. Sometimes we want to start with, with, with just listening. Let's talk. I'm that way. There's conflict in, in a relationship. Let's just talk it out. 
Let's just, let's sit down, let's, let's get ourselves in a room, and, and I just want to start talking and talking and talking, and I have to process what's going on, and usually in my marriage, I'll get to the point where, where Bethany's like, you're way over here, and now I'm even more mad because you said something over here, and you just talked and talked and talked to get there. I'm like, no, I'm over here now. <laughs> I'm over here now. And she's like, well, now I'm mad at you for the first thing that you did, which you didn't apologize or own. And then you said something in your processing because you needed to be heard and understood, but you didn't listen to what I was saying. You've been there, right? Just get in hot water. Listen for their hurt and their perspective. In James 1.19, it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In Philippians 2, verses 4 through 5, it says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Another translation says, Have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. We're shifting our perspective. We're listening for their hurt. We're seeking to understand before seeking to be understood. That's a hard one for me as a verbal processor. <laughs> but I've, I'm learning to ask questions. Sometimes we, we only look at how far the person has to go in order to figure things out, and we don't look at how far they've come. We need to shift our perspective. Maybe for many of us, we argue over ideas, but the truth is we're arguing over emotions. Are you arguing over an idea? Are you arguing, if you're really listening to the person that you're in conflict with, the root of their, their, their anger, the root of that is coming from an emotion. And if we can hear the emotion, if we can understand their perspective, if we can stop and, and listen and ask questions and understand their situation and seek the right relationship with them rather than just having to prove our point and tell them that they're wrong and on and on and on it goes. Conflict resolution starts with the way that you look at the situation. We see that in that Philippians 2 passage. We're most like Christ when we're focused on the hurts of others rather than our own hurt. Here's an example Jesus is crucified. He's been beaten. He's nailed to the cross. He's hanging there. Any one of us would have been bitter and angry and upset at the people that had done this. Do you remember Jesus' response in that moment? What did he say? He prayed and he said, Father, smite these people and strike them down with a bolt of lightning. That's what he said, right? No. He said, Father, would you forgive them? Father, would you forgive them? Jesus' heart is, is, is in the, the most brutal moment, his most physical, earthly pain. In that moment, he says, Father, would you forgive them? What an unbelievable example that we have. That he wasn't focused on his own pain, but ours. Wow. Number five, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Look, some of you, you're really good at speaking truth. Oh, you're so good at speaking truth. And you, you couch it in like, well, I just say what I'm thinking. 
or I just tell it how it is. That's just being rude. (laughs) That's not caring for other people. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Proverbs 12, 18 says it this way, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Another passage in Ephesians 4, let no corrupting or unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good or what is helpful for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, that it may benefit those who listen. Again, these things are easier said than done, but we always think, we always think that we're right and other people are wrong. And we're going to tell them. <laughs> and how you tell them matters greatly. How you tell people matters greatly. Right? If, if I have a piece of something stuck in my teeth, broccoli stuck in my teeth, and you come up to me and you say, hey, dummy, you got broccoli in your teeth. Brush your teeth already. You slob. That's not loving. You might be speaking truth to me, but I'm going to go cry myself to sleep. Right? <laughs> but if you say, um, Eric, you got a little something. Just want to let you know. Right? There's a difference in how we say things. There's a difference in how we say things. Some of us, we think that, that we think that our fears and doubts are, are perfectly legitimate, right? Maybe you've done this. You, you think, well, I'm, I'm afraid to go talk to that person because, you know, they're, they're going to get mad at me and they're going to fly off the handle. And that may be perfectly legitimate. That may be rational in your mind because maybe that happened before. And so that fear, that doubt prevents you from going and talking to them. But somebody else might look at you and say, that's silly. That person wants to know the truth. They, they want to hear when they're in sin, We almost always think that our own fears and doubts are are legitimate and rational, and we think everybody else's are silly, that they're irrational, that they're illegitimate. Number six, fix the problem, not the blame, or fix the problem, not the person. Sometimes we, we, we go on the offensive, and we start thinking about, man, I've got to fix this person. I've got, if, I could just, if I could just convince them of what they're doing is wrong and we try and play the Holy Spirit in their life, we attack the issue, not each other. Look, one of the biggest things that I've learned in marriage is understanding that we're on the same team, that we're fighting the same battles. My battles are not against my wife, but my battles are against the enemy. And Bethany is on my side. She's on my team. We're fighting life and circumstances and evil together. We understand that we're working on the problem, not on each other. That's a tough one to learn. Also, there are certain words within the context of relationships. Maybe you know somebody that you just, you're constantly in conflict with them, but you know them so well and you know how to push all of their buttons. Don't do that. Right? Don't, don't do that. That's not helpful. In marriage, you, you know that there are certain words that will just set off your spouse. And in a heated argument, it's really tempting to say those words. 
Bethany and I, we, we've come to a conclusion that we will never say the D word. Divorce. It's not an option. We're taking it off of the table. When, when we stood before the Lord, and many of you, on the day that we got married, we, we made a commitment, a vow to each other that we will work on our issues, we will work on our conflict, but we won't work on each other. That's the Lord's job. But we're on the same team, and we're not going to use words like divorce. It's not an option. Maybe you need to implement some of those. Maybe you think we're just not compatible. Have you ever, have you ever thought that? You know, I, I'm not compatible. Look, nobody's compatible. None of us are compatible. We're all opinionated. We're all selfish. We choose who we love, don't we? Love is a choice. I can choose who I want to get along with. We need to work on these things. Number seven, focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, when when we talk about conflict, we talk about it in terms of conflict resolution, meaning that everything needs to go away, that everything should just be resolved, that every disagreement is going to be an agreement, which, look, that's really just not going to happen. That's thinking in terms of, of uniformity rather than unity. Reconciliation means reestablishing the relationship, being at peace with each other, not holding on to any hurt. It's a little bit harder. A verse here, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, it says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. I'm so glad for that. We're reconciled with God through Christ And he gave us then the ministry of reconciliation so so that, or that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or our trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I love this. We're called into this. We're called to be peacemakers in Matthew 5, not peacekeepers a peacemakers, that we go out and we make peace. We are to be reconcilers. If you focus on restoring the relationship, oftentimes the issues become insignificant. Look, there's a lot here, and and God's word is, is full of principles, as we've been looking at, that will help us resolve conflict in our relationships, in our marriages. And and look, it's my prayer that that God would speak to us this morning. It's my prayer that that whatever conflict we're in now, that we would begin to implement some of God's word and to apply it to our lives in powerful ways. And here's the reality. We can have all this head knowledge. We can know all of these things, but if we don't do anything with it, if I go home and I say, wow, that, that was a great message, that God gave, but I don't use any of it? To to what benefit is that? If I don't allow God's word to to sink deep inside of my heart and my mind and I begin to apply it in how I live out my life and the decisions that I make and how I speak to people and how I deal with conflict head on, not avoiding, then, then I've missed it. 
We're going to keep missing it. And look, I don't want us to do that. I want us to live that way. Let me pray for us. God, we're committing this morning to do our part that we would make the first move, that we would seek to understand before being understood, that we would speak the truth in love. Lord, that we would, that we would do these things, that we would apply these principles, the things that, that stuck out to us, God, the things that you're impressing on our heart that we can't stop thinking about. Lord, we understand that's your Holy Spirit speaking to us. Would you help us to be obedient to what you're asking? Would you help us in these ways, God? We need your help. Help us to love each other because you first loved us. To resolve conflict. See you at work in and through us. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Elder Ken.